Hi there, this is Emily Williams, Disability Advisor for the Diocese of Leicester, and you're listening to the Disability in the Church podcast, a place where I chat to different guests all about disability inclusion within the Christian church. I hope this will be a place where we can learn together, make mistakes together, and spark new ideas together. This episode was recorded remotely during the UK lockdown, therefore the sound quality might not be as good as normal, but the content is still fab. Let's get started. Welcome to the next episode of Disability and the Church. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Emily Owen. Emily is an author, a speaker, a worship facilitator. I could go on. (laughs) Emily, do you want to tell us a bit more about yourself? Hi, yeah, well it's great to be here. Thank you, thank you for inviting me on. And very nice that you're called Emily, and so am I. So we've got two (laughs) Emilys. I said a bit about me. Um, actually, what you just introduced me as is probably not what I would normally say, first and foremost. I tend to start off by saying that um, I'm disabled, <laughs> not because disability defines me, and I am all those other things that you've just said, but because um, disability is a part of who I am. And, you know, it's important to me that people kind of know that. So, um, my disability started when I was uh, 16 and I was diagnosed with a neurological condition which has, I guess we'll come to some of this, but it's um, left me deaf among other things. Um, but apart from that, um, I um, enjoy, well, I love my sister's children, they're great, um, and other children in my life. I love playing with them, messing around with them, although I haven't really seen them very much for obviously a long time yeah um and I enjoy reading I enjoy walking um I enjoy well <laughs> I can say I enjoy going out for meals but I'm looking forward to going out for meals again <laughs> you do enjoy going out for meals <laughs> <laughs> um so we're recording this in the fourth UK lockdown which feels crazy how are you finding lockdown how's that impacted your life day to day well um I suppose I'm a bit fed up with lockdown, really. As I've just said, I wouldn't mind being able to see my friends again, go out for dinner, that kind of thing. Um, As a deaf person, what surprised me about lockdown is it kind of makes me feel more deaf. And I never thought that would happen because um, obviously we've got things like Zoom and that's great. And at first I thought, oh, brilliant, I'll be able to see people and lip read them on the screen. And I, that is fine if it's one person, yeah. mostly. But then when you have a meeting on Zoom and there's lots of little faces in boxes, it's really hard to follow. So whilst I thought in some ways it might make me feel less excluded than normal life, in some ways it's quite hard to access still, just differently. Mm. So, yeah, and obviously I can't pick up the phone and have a chat and but neither can I meet people face to face. So in some ways it's made me feel more deaf, lockdown. That's really interesting, that phrase, more deaf. That's, yeah, like you said, it's not something you'd think you'd you'd hear, is it? Um, yeah, I hadn't it's thought good. about how, because I was so excited when you said you could record this podcast because we can use Zoom and you can lip read. It wasn't till you just said then that obviously when there's, 20 people on a meeting 50 people yeah, it's impossible yeah, the, yeah. Pictures, the pictures are tiny aren't they um so there's there's absolutely no way you could lip read I hadn't even thought of that no and also you don't know who's uh, going to talk 
so <laughs> I don't know which face in a box to look at and yeah, yeah. I mean like right now you're speaking very clearly for me and I know to look at you but yeah throw another box in and I'm a bit confused <laughs> yeah of course of course so how have you accessed church during the pandemic well um on YouTube um the automatic captions are really really good so when people are talking uh speaking at church um the subtitles come up for me occasionally there are kind of funny mistakes but generally <laughs> they're really really good so that's how i do it via the subtitles uh, okay okay yeah. do you know if there's a function on zoom for people to get subtitles if if someone listening does their church on zoom is there a subtitles function that you know of uh no I, I don't think there is a, a subtitle function on zoom there is a function where somebody in the group can be allocated to type and they come up as subtitles but that sounds really easy doesn't it or someone will type what everyone says but actually it's really hard that's and really somebody hard who's kind of professional really to do that and in my experience most zoom chats don't have a professional typist no. to type no and i mean that's something a church you could look at employing one but um i'm pretty sure that they're not they're not um they're not cheap but if you know that there's members of your congregation that need that that is a viable option to look into um, it, it, it is if it's possible yeah. yeah but it's interesting i just received um um a message yesterday or the day before someone saying to me oh I want to have a online social chat thing for disabled people including deaf people you know, where the community can just come together and how can that be made accessible for deaf people and I thought about it and sadly I had to say it would be really hard mm. <laughs> really hard because someone needs to type in the box and it's yeah, I'm sure it's doable. Perhaps we can all think about how to make yeah. that work. But it is hard. Yeah, I guess you'd you'd have to have some sort of budget, wouldn't you, to have a to employ someone that's solely there to type yeah. the subtitles. Yes, I think somebody would need to be there to, to type rather yeah. than try and join in themselves as well, yeah. because yeah, that maybe. would be impossible. Yeah, you could yeah. You, your main purpose would have to be just to transcript the and type the meeting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also you'd have to be used to typing. So. Yeah, and be quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so tell us, uh, if you don't mind, could you share us just a bit about your story, your childhood? Because as you mentioned earlier, you weren't born disabled until the age of 16. You you lived a relatively main like mainstream, for want of a better word, childhood. Yeah, no, yeah, no that's right. I um I was born um and I had no idea of any sort of disability that was lying ahead. Um, although as it turned out, it's my, it's genetic. So I was actually born with a condition called neurofibromatosis type two, but I just didn't know it until I was 16. So growing up, um, I was, you know, I was really into sport, music, uh, school, all the, I was a fairly normal child. Well, with a slight sense of geekiness as well, but fairly normal. <laughs> that sounds normal. When I was 14, <laughs> when I was 14, I began to not be able to really walk in a straight line and get really bad headaches and multiple trips back and forward to the doctor eventually um, led to me being diagnosed with um, this condition by two huge uh, brain tumours 
over my head and um, they had to come out they weren't camp well they're not camps there but obviously they're still it's still not good to have big tumours in yeah, your head tumors in your brain. so they had to come out yeah and when they were removed well the first one was removed when I was 16 and I was deaf in one ear then when I was 21 the other tumour had to be removed and that left me deaf in both ears so yeah but that that's actually why I can still talk because yeah, was, I've heard speech I was just yeah, about I wasn't to say that I was 21. yeah because yeah. you speak perfect English because for your entire childhood and most of your teens, you were talking and hearing. Yeah. Yeah. So so did you then have to learn BSL after that or learn? You've obviously learned to lip read. Do, can you do BSL? Do you do BSL? Not a bit about communication stuff. Well, yeah, I do do. Um, well, to say I do BSL might be stretching it because BSL is really full, fluent sign language, which maybe it isn't me <laughs> but I can do sign language I can speak it um, and that is really thanks to my mum I didn't want to learn at all so when I was um a teen well, when I was diagnosed and when I was first told by the doctor oh you'll be deaf one day my first thought was I don't think so I don't think that would really happen to me um, and my mum's first thought was if she's going to be deaf we need to learn sign language and you know, I was a teenager, and my mum said, "Go, we're going." And I sort of, a bit rebelliously, did go to learn. But now I'm really glad that I can speak sign language. I use it quite a lot. Um, but also, as you pointed out, um, I do lip read um, because most people don't sign. Mm. Um, before I lost my hearing, um, I sort of went to a hearing therapist to teach me how to lip read. And yeah, so she, she gave me tips, like for example, um, if the person I'm lip reading has the light behind them, I won't be able to see their face. And it's true, if you put a light behind you right now, I probably wouldn't be able to see your lips. Mm. Um, and different tips like this, but one thing she said to me was, um, some people have a kind of natural affinity to being able to lip read, some people don't. And from that day, every night, and even still now, I prayed that I would be able to lip read. So I honestly believe that it's God that helps me lip read. Sometimes I can't lip read people, but often I can. That must make a huge difference to day-to-day -day life, especially outside of the pandemic, when you're living as normal. Being able to lip read must make everything quite a lot easier. Yeah, it, it makes a big difference to be able to... I, mean, I always hesitate to say to somebody I meet, I can lip read you, <laughs> because, of course, there will probably be somebody I can't lip read, because everybody has a different lip pattern. But at least I'm able to say, I can give lip reading a go. go. I can try it. Yeah. So, yeah. And also, I think uh, being able to talk makes a big difference, because I can say to somebody, I'm deaf, I can lip read you, rather than not being able to even say that I think would be more difficult so. yeah definitely I went to mm. university um, and there was a, a young lady in my class at university who was completely deaf born completely deaf so she oh. couldn't speak um, and she she was pretty good at lip reading but her main language was BSL 
Um, and yeah, the difference between how I'm able to talk to you and how I was able to communicate with her or, or yeah. unfortunately not very well. I did my best. I was just going to say, how did you communicate with her? Well, so I do, I know Macaton, which oh, obviously no. is completely different to BSL. However, I could, we could muddle through a basic greeting yes. uh, and, and ne like I could finger sign my name. Um, yes. And then lots of visual, I guess, really. Um, if I was offering her, if like when her pen ran out, I could offer her my pencil case. Do you want a pen? <laughs> um, so unfortunately it was very basic, but I did my best. I can't imagine how isolating that room will have been for her. Um, but yeah, I, I can appreciate that being able to talk um, is makes a massive difference. Makes a difference, yeah. But I think as well for what you've just said about you, you made an effort, you know, you tried. That makes a big difference as well when people actually... Because sometimes I, I feel like I can say this because I'm a deaf person. Sometimes it's hard to communicate with me. I mean, I know I'm reading enough, but sometimes people have to repeat things and it's probably tiring and frustrating. And so the fact that you made an effort with her would have meant a lot, I think. I say that a lot about inclusion. It's not about getting everything right. It's not about doing it perfectly. No. I'm sure I'm sure I get a lot of things wrong and but my, my hope and my my theory is by trying I've sent a really clear message that I care and that they're part of my church family and that they're valued yeah. um and that's that's kind of what underpins everything for me is I'm good I'll try it I'll get it wrong I'll try it again and that that's yeah exactly and that, that's the point I mean sometimes I do um well, as you mentioned before I sort of do workshops and different things about communication and one of the things that I do say is if you get your message over you can't really go wrong you know there's no wrong way to communicate yeah. um so you just mentioned there that you do workshops you spend your time now educating others about uh, disability and raising awareness what does that what does that look like you mentioned workshops what what are there you write um well sort of you mean right now at the moment well at the moment it's obviously online so um sometimes what i do is i in normal times will go into the university and um talk to students who are um audiology students and a bit about communication and different things um to do with uh, audiology I guess um, but recently I had to do it uh, online on on, an, on on a zoom session and I wasn't sure how that would go but then I thought actually it's probably a really good example for them because they've got to type everything in the box because I won't be able to understand them and it's a really good way of saying basically how we're going to make this work yeah. And it did work, and we typed, and we repeated things, and it was a really good example of saying communication can work if everybody pulls together and wants it to. I bet, I bet that session was actually so much more valuable for not being slick and smooth. I bet they learnt so much more for for having having to muddle through, having to make it work. And, and, and you, you all having to work it out together. 
we exactly so it was almost as though it, um i didn't necessarily plan it but as it turned out it gave them um and it sort of uh, they could see what it's like to struggle with communication a bit yeah so, yeah hopefully it was helpful i'm sure that was really helpful so we've mentioned your deafness um you said when you were a teenager you were falling over a lot is that still a thing do you still have physical implications yeah that's right so um I've mentioned about the tumors uh, in my head that made me deaf but actually these tumors can grow on nerves anywhere in my body so um if you see me walking out and about when uh, when lockdown finally ends I will be I'll have a crutch because um, I had a couple of tumours removed from my spine, which um, initially left me paralysed from the waist down. And grad uh, yeah, I woke up and I couldn't, I, you know, like, I couldn't move my legs. And um, a long, long, long time later, um, I managed to kind of walk, but I do, do still need a crutch and I can't walk very far. So I need a wheelchair for any distance, really. Right. Wow, how incredible that for a while you couldn't move and then you've had to kind of build that up and get that back slowly. Yeah, I had to, I, had to, uh, I mean, when I, when I woke up and the surgeon who'd done the operation um, obviously came and, well, I was still asleep when he first spoke to my parents and apparently all he said was sorry. That was the only word the surgeon said after the operation because he knew that I was paralysed from the waist down. And when I woke up, I was told that too. And, you know, in I think it was about maybe a month later, three weeks, a month later, finally one of my legs twitched, like a tiny little twitch. And that was where the physiotherapists thought, well, let's see if we can get you walking again. And months later, we, we did. But yes, it was, um, it was scary. <laughs> yeah very yeah. scary how is your how has your faith played into kind of from being age 16 onwards that hearing that you're you're going to be deaf one day the denial the trying to deal with it and then waking up from that operation how's your faith played into all of that up to where you are now um well my go going right back i was born um into a family of faith you know christian family so i was always faith has always been a really important part of my life and um so i sort of grew up knowing god if 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 that makes sense and but i had quite a i suppose you could call it quite a happy upbringing you know i never really had any big huge problems um and I, then, as I say, at 14, I began to get this wobbly walking and headaches. But I still didn't think that would be a huge problem. It was just part of me. And so I carried on with life and carried on with sport. And I remember once, doing, when I was 15, I was doing an athletics event. And I jumped the long jump. And uh, that was not my favourite event, but I did it. And afterwards, a talent scout came up and said that they thought I was quite good at long jump and that they would like me to join their athletics club. And I've never been more shocked in my life. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, you seriously talking to me? <laughs> yeah, and I said, well, what, what does that actually mean? When, when, when does your club meet? And he said, oh, every Sunday, every Sunday you'll come and train with the club. 
and obviously as I've already said on Sundays I went to church and I thought oh training church and I can remember standing there but that was sort of the first time I'd ever almost had to choose between mm. God and something else that was important to me because sport I loved sport yeah but it, it felt to me like it was God or sport, which, which one am I going to choose and I, I'm not entering a debate about sport on the Sundays <laughs> none of that this is just my personal take on it yeah yeah, yeah. Day, I'm not doing sport on a Sunday I'm going to church so um so yeah that's why you've not seen me in the Olympics <laughs> no, so I didn't do the sport um but actually, looking back, before all the um, operations and the brain tumor thing really happened, I'd already decided that God came first in my life. So when I was 15, I made that decision. And looking back, I really thank God that he put me in that position to make it because he knew what was coming. Yeah. He knew my life was going to basically go, in a sense, pear-shaped and everything was going to be turned on its head. And he was still the constant in my life. For a, for a fifteen year old, that's that's quite a quite an incredible faith, isn't it? If you think if you think about fifteen year olds, and yeah, I, that's quite a statement to, that you're able you were able to choose God above everything else at fifteen. This podcast and other resources are created voluntarily to help encourage churches to become more accessible to those with disabilities. Emily would love to give more to her role as disability advisor. One simple way to support her in this is to visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash Emily Williams. Essentially, you donate the cost of a brew from your local coffee shop. You can even commit to it monthly. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash Emily Williams. Thank you for any support you can give. I don't know I mean, it was for me it was quite a normal 15 year old decision to make because it was it was just my thoughts but maybe maybe it was I'm, I'm not suggesting everyone would make that decision but for me it was the one and as I say I honestly do think that this particular 15 year old God brought me to that place to make that decision knowing what lay ahead so then you were asking about how I coped with the or the, the paralysed and the death and everything well you know holding on to God sometimes that was literally all I could do my whole life I mean when I woke up after the operation that took my hearing and I was in total silence I'm not sure I've ever been more terrified in my life but God was still there and somehow I learned at rock bottom that God doesn't walk out when we hit rock bottom and for me, that was that's what I hold on to because I've hit lots of rock bottoms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but God has been there in every single one. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. That's actually that's made me fill up actually. Um, got goosebumps. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, as I guess everything we've been speaking to up till now, all your your teens, your childhood, your faith, your experience of becoming disabled, essentially, you've actually put into a book. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I I have, which is going right back to when I was diagnosed, and then after the first surgery, um, to remove one brain tumor, the one that left me deaf, 
Um, I was actually really ill after that surgery. Um, and I ended up in intensive care and my parents gave permission for my life support machine to be switched off because, you know, things were so bad. And when I, well, obviously they didn't actually in the end switch the machine off because they realised I might live. And they said, if she's going to live, she needs to learn to do everything again. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't, <laughs> ironically, I could hear out of one ear, but <laughs> that's all I could do. You know, I couldn't even breathe for myself. Wow. And I had to learn to do everything again. And it took a long time. But when I eventually did get back to a semblance of normal, so I was, by this time I was at 17, and people said to me, oh, it's amazing what you've been through. You should mm. write a book about your story. And I said, no, a book is never happening, ever. <laughs> and people kept saying, as time went on, oh, you should write your story. And I began to go to different places and give my testimony and talk about my story. And people would say, oh, you should write this down. And I said, oh, no, no, I, I read books. I don't write books. Never happened. <laughs> never happened. And eventually, I'm talking about 20 years later, um, almost, um, you know, God began to nudge me and say, oh, what about writing, writing your story? And anyway, in the end, a publisher was interested and God just opened the way for me to write it. So, yeah, um, it's called Still Emily. And uh, yeah, I, in the end, wrote the book I was never going to write, which was my memoir. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And you've got a new book coming out, is that correct? Yes. So you've actually yes, written, right. you've written two now. Um, I, 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 I've actually written, um, I've written more than two because the memoir came out. But um, before I agreed to write my memoir, uh, I started writing devotional books, yeah. which had nothing about me in them at all. <laughs> because, as you know, my story was never going to be in writing. <laughs> so, books <laughs> about the Bible, Bible characters, devotional books, mm. started writing them. And so they are published. Um, they are called 30 Days with a Bible character. So 30 Days with David or... Elijah or Mary or different ones and um, then more recently I was asked to write my story that for perhaps a younger audience so sort of maybe 10 year olds that kind of age because actually I was asked, I wrote it and I was asked to write it before the pandemic but then the pandemic delayed publication so it's mm -hmm. only just come out um very recently a few weeks ago mm -hmm. and I was asked to write it before the pandemic but now the pandemic's going on and there's such a rise in children struggling with mental health or struggling with different issues of identity or perhaps image and I cover all these things in the book and what I really hope the book does is help children realise that everyone is not absolutely perfect mm. and that that's okay because sometimes we look at other people's lives and we think, oh, they've got it all sorted. But what I wanted to do in the book was have the children meet someone. So I write it, it's sort of, I write it as a diary. So the children are reading me writing to them. Yeah. And I write it 
in a way that's honest and that says actually sometimes life does go wrong and you know and almost perhaps giving them a bit of space to say yeah well I'm not very happy today either my life's not great rather than having to pretend that everything's fine yeah Yeah. so I really hope that it will encourage them to you know maybe even ask questions about themselves and have space Mm. to find things difficult (laughs) that sounds, sounds really powerful so it's essentially this second book or your second memoir is is your story again in diary form aimed at sort of primary school children well yeah it, and when I say it's a primary school children it's kind of key stage two but really interestingly I've had feedback already from adults who say this is actually for adults too so I think the thing is with children we all have a child in us don't we <laughs> whether we're big or small and so the book seems to really resonating with children of all ages well and like you've said lockdown I think for everybody has made us really think about things like what's really important to us what are we really missing what are we finding hard it, it, it I know for me it's really made me question sort of elements of my identity and and what I want my life to be when this is over and what I want to be important to me. And so, yeah, I can see how that kind of book would actually be really transferable to adults as well. Well, yeah, well, I hope so. And it's interesting you say about um, kind of identity and what life's going to look like and finding hope and things. Um, I do talk about identity in the book because Um, I felt when um, I was diagnosed with this condition and when I had the operation that left me so ill and I couldn't do anything, I felt that everything I was had gone. You know, I I was like, well, who am I now? Mm. Yeah, how how am I going to carry on living Mm. such a changed life? Who am I? And there's a book also talks about that and about trying to find who we actually are outside of what we can do yeah yeah so in your professional life now if we come back to to church you are you're speaking everything you're writing and you're teaching is is to try and raise awareness and to try and increase accessibility when you've been doing events uh, and training or or talks in church circles what feedback do you get from people, especially from adults, that that are potentially, what are the main barriers, I guess, is what I'm asking, that you commonly hear in churches um, and how could we tackle them? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, when you ask that question, I'm kind of thinking of it as me back when I first started and me now. And it's yeah. actually quite different because now... I will go into um, you know, a, a, a church, a room, a meeting or whatever, and I'm more confident than I used to be. And I will say, actually, I will often say, we need to rearrange this room, please, because the light is behind you and I can't see you or you're sitting too far away for me to lip read and that kind of thing. So if I'm doing a workshop, I'll often, as I say, get people to move or close the curtains. Um, so but I've learned to do that Mm. and I would never have known about for example the light or the layout of the room I mean before I knew about my own hearing loss 
these things wouldn't have occurred to me. Mm. So when I go to somewhere, the first thing I do is not expect anyone to automatically know how to cope with somebody who's deaf, because I, I know I wouldn't have known. So I'm quite happy to, to, you know, to educate them. And another thing I often do is have a notebook with me or a phone. So people can type things down if, if it needs to be said. But I also find people are actually really nice. <laughs> so people say to me, oh, you can, I'll, point, I'll point in my songbook if the songs, if the words aren't on the screen. You can share my book so you can do sign language while singing and that kind of thing. I think, again, the fact that I can talk makes a big, big difference. I think if I wasn't able to read or understand you know, English, it would be much more difficult. So I sometimes think perhaps I should go into somewhere and pretend that I can't talk, see what would happen. Would be an interesting experiment, wouldn't it? Um, but as you just mentioned, having pen and paper, that that would still be helpful whether you could speak or not, wouldn't it? That could be that could potentially be your most beneficial tool. Would be pen and paper. Really helpful, really helpful. Yeah, having pen and paper, and also say if I'm speaking and afterwards is a Q and A question and answer. Um, I will often say to somebody who I've made sure I can definitely lip read. <laughs> I will say to them, "Can you listen to the questions and then feed them back to me?" Yeah, and, and, and so this kind of thing, it's about, I, I find people are really happy to help, but they don't always know how. Mm. So if, if you can encourage them in how to help and, and say what you need, but sometimes it is really hard to do that. Mm. And you've just reminded me, well, I don't know if you have, but this conversation has reminded me. And um, sometimes when I do sessions about deaf awareness, I will start off by talking in sign language with no voice and it just gives people a bit of an awareness of what it's like to have no idea what's going on and then that in itself encourages people to want to meet halfway mm -hmm. yeah I like that to meet halfway find find a middle ground that works for everybody mm, yeah and also for me acknowledging that <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. And for me, I've had to acknowledge that sometimes communication won't be able to work for everybody. And I know that's probably a terrible thing to say on a disability podcast. No. <laughs> and I do apologise. But as a disabled person, I can say that I've had to accept that everything is not always going to be accessible for me. And for me, in living my life, that's that's actually quite releasing because there's some things that I'm not going to fight to be able to do because I'm not going to be able to. Equally, I know other people do want to fight to be able to do those things. And that's great. I can cheer them on. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, myself, I have to learn to let things go sometimes. And I think what's important is trying to keep that list of things that you can't do, as you've said, as small as possible. That there are plenty of things that we as a society, as a church, can implement to keep that list really small. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's, it's, it's kind of doing what you can 
yeah. but finding out what you can do because I think there's a lot of things that people would be willing to do they just don't know they could yeah I mean for example um I, mean, I I'm not very good at technology so I have no idea whether it would actually be possible that when churches meet back in person I wonder whether it'd be possible to um literally be filming the um service and somehow have subtitles on so I could sit in the service but have my own tablet and be seeing subtitles come up mm. whether that sort of thing would be possible that would be so helpful that mm. sort of thing that's, so I think, that's really helpful because if if churches continue to live stream their services to YouTube there's no reason why you can't have that open on your screen with no sound exactly. and, and just be reading be reading yes. it yeah yes exactly and that would just be that sort of thing would be really helpful but as I say I'm not very good at technology but if if it's, if that sort of thing were possible it would be great mm. and I kind of don't see why it wouldn't be possible no I but, don't see no I'm sure there are techie people listening that will be able to make that happen in some places and that would be great um so people with disabilities are they're often excluded or or written off from contributing to church life or to conversations around Christianity um however as we've learned in this conversation that's exactly what you're doing you're educating you're you're writing devotionals you're you're doing all of these things um are you are you finding that it's a fight to be heard because because you have this label if you want to put that on it of of disability or do you actually feel that we're in a time where more disabled people are speaking out what what do you think do, do you have to fight um, um well i'm not sure i certainly i'm certainly on twitter there is a very, there's a strong disabled presence in the Twitter church. <laughs> if you can go, I mean, it is church. So yeah, in Twitter church. Twitter is church for some people. Yeah. And um, so there is there is a lot of voices. There's a there is frustration. Um, I think I, I think, yeah, I think increasingly people are being heard, but I think in some ways this what when we're more aware that the disabled voices are there we're also more aware of when they're not heard i mean i haven't experienced it myself but i have seen on twitter people feeling very frustrated that things they've suggested and put forward from their own disabled point of view mm. are not necessarily taken on board i mean for myself i think um and i think generally generally i am heard but i don't I don't know whether that is because I'm disabled or whether it's a byproduct of being disabled. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, people often listen to my story and find it encouraging and resonating with their own stories, whether or not they're what we would call disabled. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to know whether that's... I think it might be because I'm disabled in a way, but partly because I'm able to stand up there and talk about weakness yeah and we all have weakness yeah but it just is a way to dis- to discuss things so I would love if it were possible to to have where disabled isn't a label mm. where disabled is just something that people are whereas equally um something else that somebody struggles with that's what they are we don't have labels we're all just people who mm. have struggles yeah <laughs> whether yeah, that's a that- physical 
an emotional struggle yeah Yeah, it's really true isn't it every single person that sits in your congregation will will struggle with something and and yeah yeah whether that's being able to hear whether that's sensory whether that's you know something to do with food whether that's attention span whether it has has a big fancy label or not every single person will have something won't they in that congregation that they struggle with yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We. we I mean, we all struggle. Yeah. Oh, you were saying how some people on Twitter are frustrated that they're not heard. Why? Yes. How? How can churches? Why do you think that is? And what? What do you think churches can do to make more of an effort to hear or to help people to feel heard and action it? Um, I think. Um... It's, uh, I do just want to say I'm not an oracle on this. I don't know. No, this no, is just me thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think possibly. Um, I suppose one way might be um, having disabled voices on, for example, PC seats yeah. or you know, church um, leadership. Yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of thing would be would be a huge a huge step forward but personally I wouldn't want to see um somebody on those in those positions purely because they're disabled no you know, they're disabled but they also, it also has to be the gifting to be mm-hmm. in leadership positions I, I don't think you can say for example oh Emily's deaf she can go on the PCC <laughs> definitely not no you need to have more than just the disability yeah it's but that not about way it's not about ticking a box is it it's about it's about fulfilling someone's giftings and callings and I was talking about this with someone else earlier that actually part of what's important for inclusion is expecting those adults those individuals to have giftings and to have things to contribute to your church family it's not just about us contributing to them like they are just as valuable and will have just as many giftings that they can bring and it's important that you still look for those notice those uh, and do whatever's necessary to encourage them into those yes it's yes it's um it is it is about giving and taking I mean you've just reminded me now the final service before the very first lockdown <laughs> yeah when we were actually able to meet in church but we weren't able to um shake hands or anything like that um I was in I was in uh, church and it came to the time for sharing the peace where normally shaking hands you know peace be with you and my church said to me, um, would I teach everybody to say peace be with you in sign language, and which I did. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences mm-hmm. to see everyone sharing the peace in sign language. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a real unifying sense that we were all you know, working, doing it together and including each other and and you know, just to see the joy on people's faces as they signed Peace Be With You in a way that everybody understood was very beautiful. Mm. So yeah, give and take. Yeah, that's lovely. Now I close every podcast with the same question. So I'm going to ask you that question. Why is it everybody's responsibility to be aware and to include? Yeah, well, because we're all one body, 
we're all the body of Christ. And so in a sense, having a responsibility and looking out for others in the body is having a sense of responsibility and looking out for ourselves because mm. we're all part of the same body. So in, you know, in including others, in a sense, we include part of ourselves. Mm. And I don't suppose we want to exclude part of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're very right. Uh, thank you so much for chatting, Emily. It's been lovely to talk to you um, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great chatting to you. Yeah, really nice. And thank you for speaking so clearly for me to lip read. You've been oh, great. I'm glad you could, I'm glad you could lip read me. <laughs> uh, no, I can't. So, so you've been a perfect example of inclusion, actually, making it work on Zoom with somebody who's deaf. And it's been great. So thank you for having me. Great. It's been a learning experience for me as well. So thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to this episode of Disability in the Church podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, then you can head to the Diocese of Leicester website and search Disability Resources for Churches. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us next time. Bye!